Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Access Podcast, the podcast about podcasts. I'm Maddie Stout, and I am the smartest man that you know, Producer Z, correct? I'm going to say yes for the sake of my job. Thank you. You're welcome. But we both know that the smartest man in the world is Greg Proops, who you have a personal connection with because of the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, so when I moved to America with my family from Sri Lanka, Whose Line Is It Anyway was one of the first shows that we were introduced to, and my brother and I would watch it non-stop. Like, there was no getting us away from the TV. And Greg Proops, of course, the star of that show, and also the star of this week's edition of Access Podcast. Let's check out a little bit of his show. Let's see here. Uh, according to recent estimates, women make up under 20% of Congress and less than 25% of all state legislatures. Only six governors are women, but they're 51% of the population. So when we go on and on and on here. And here he is, the smartest man in the world, smartest guy uh, I've ever had the pleasure to work with, Greg Proops. Hi, Greg. Hello, Maddie. You're very flattering. Uh, well, you know, it's true. You are very smart. I am marvelous. There's no question. You know, here was the thing. When I did my old radio show, we would have comedians come in and just let them talk and, and not really, you know, do shtick or anything. And there were always a couple that I thought when I moved into podcasting, that's somebody that should be podcasting. And you or top, we're always like on the top of that list for me. I'm so glad to see that uh, you've taken the podcasting as much as you have. It's really changed everything, Maddie. I think uh, it's made me uh, a more relevant comedian. And uh, when I did the first one, after I did it, my wife Jennifer said to me, this is what you should be doing. And I was like, huh, because I always thought stand-up was the most direct way to communicate with the audience. But I think podcasting is you really reach people on a, a honest, visceral level and they, they seem to hear what you're saying, you know? Yeah, I mean, I overuse this phrase, but, you know, podcasts create empathy. And I think that... Yeah. It, Somebody like you, that's important in, in what you do. It is. It's easy to be misunderstood as a comedian because people are reactionary and they react to a phrase or a word or a thought or something. With podcasting, people really hunker down and listen, and um, you can really communicate with them. I, I, the highest praise, I think, Maddie, is like people write me and say, I used to think th about things one way, and I listened to your show, and, and I've changed my thinking on that. And you think, well, that's amazing because – Stand-up doesn't change minds. Comedy is not really a force for – it can be a voice, but I don't think it's, a, you know, that giant a catalyst <laughs> for social change. Right. <laughs> I'm laughing now. But, you know, there's very few uh, George Carlins or Bill Hicks or Lily Tomlins. Well, I think that um... – Again, you know, with with comedy, you, you hit a city and a city and a city. And with a podcast, it, it hits so many people. Um, do, have you found a new audience, do you think, in podcasting than you had with comedy? I do. I think the people that wouldn't walk in the door of a comedy club because they thought it was sexist and racist um, will <laughs> listen. I get a lot of young people who are too young to come to a comedy club, which is really uh, amazing to communicate with teenagers and uh, you know, people who can't drink yet, uh, they love it as entertainment too. And also I've been to, um, Holland, Sweden, Norway, uh, Scotland, England, France, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, Finland, uh, you know what I mean? So y y you, you can draw an audience all over the world through the power of, um, podcasting because it's on people's phone or on their computer. You don't have to be on a TV show anymore. TV's not necessary 
to have a presence, you know. I think that when somebody's doing a good podcast, a good a, any good radio or audio in my in my mind, it you know it's good when people think they could do it too. Well, that sounds like I could, <laughs> right. you know, I could do that too. And the same thing with comedy. You know, everybody thinks that they can get up on stage, but I think you know, for you, I would think that your background and especially with improv has really prepared you to do a podcast where you are kind of, you know, at your will to speak about things, but also know, all right, you know, I need to stay on some kind of target. It's true. Um, I love um, the thrill of walking backwards and free falling and improvising. <laughs> and uh, with when you, when you podcast, I can start at one place and work my way around in a huge circle, you know, and, and still try to get toward the, the point of the thing. Um, sometimes I don't, sometimes it takes me a whole hour to get off one topic, but uh, people stay with you for that in a podcast where they wouldn't perhaps as much in a stand-up act. They kind of want you to hit a joke every 15 seconds. Um, and I think that's what makes it so exciting for me. Um, I talk about politics a lot, feminism, history, uh, race, uh, religion, music, books, art, literature, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I, there's a more open playing field for that. Uh, people, I know people are listening and responding to that because they bring poetry books to the show. Uh, you know, they bring dope and vodka too. Of course, my my habits are, are forefront, but um, they bring poetry books and artwork they've done and um, feminist literature and, and records on vinyl, Maddie, which is like, you know, close to my heart. So yeah. you know you're getting through to people when that's what's happening. And I don't ask for these things. It all happened organically, which makes it, a thousand times more gratifying to me than being in a corporate meeting where people talk about what they think people like and what they think people want, and they really don't. They've just taken a survey. One of the things I always have always enjoyed about you and always enjoyed when you would come into the studio on the shows that I worked on is is the, is the topics that you talk about. And, and you know, I, I like it when people can be funny and smart at the same time. And I'll be honest with you, the fact that your podcast is doing so well – makes me feel like maybe society isn't as fucked as I think it is. Um, <laughs> I like to think so. I mean, I wake up with a, you know, like everyone else, there's the 30 seconds in the morning before you remember what's going on uh, and who the, who's in power. <laughs> and then the, the depression, you know, climbs over you and imbues your soul with a blackness that can inescapable horror of the volcanic racism. And, you know, but anyway, yes, I, I think you're right. Um, the truth is, uh, people are interested in uh, my one of my guys I work with, uh, Matt Belknap, uh, is on um, Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo, and he's been at the very beginning of podcasting. And he asked me to do this uh, with his partner, Ryan McManaman. And at the very beginning of this, he said to me something that no TV person would ever say to you. He said, people are attracted to content. Yeah. And that's what makes me. And then I say to Jennifer, well, I'm talking about jazz or I'm talking about this or that book. And surely everybody knows this. And she said to me, they don't. They don't know it. You need to introduce it to them. You're curating what you talk about. You're curating literature for them or art because everybody doesn't have the same experience and everybody doesn't have the same frame of reference. And it's not a matter of ignorance or stupidity. It's just, you know how it is. Some people had a good English teacher or good parents and some people didn't. And so they have to kind of... I feel like I'm teaching a 101 class. Yeah, you know, I've spent the last six uh, years teaching at a university, and and that's one thing I have learned is 
it's it's people aren't bad because they're ignorant and and that word gets used wrong you know yeah it does it's not a bad thing to be i'm ignorant everyone's ignorant on something um and the key is to instead of of pointing your finger and wagging it at them for being ignorant it's to say well let me tell you about that and i think that's something you do very very well and i'm in it and again it makes me so happy that there's actually in the audience is engaged in that because every day i feel a little bit more like the movie idiocracy uh, mm-hmm. And and I and I worry that we are we do revel in our ignorance and we revel in um, we revel in in our snarky put downs that aren't well thought out and I like it when you do very thought, thought well thought out snarky put downs. Um, <laughs> what do you teach, Maddie? I actually teach uh, podcasting uh, and broadcasting. I started the first podcast program, uh, as far as I know, in the United States at the Academy of Art University. So that's fantastic it because is... it really is an effective tool, you know and. Just like uh, music, there's a mi- there's podcasting a million types of ways to podcast. There's a million different podcasts. Um, my only complaint about comedy podcasting is that it's been inconceivably male uh, for the first ten years, and now you're starting to see, um, you know, uh, uh, black women and 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 all kinds of women getting into it. Um, the guys we fucked and uh, yeah. the uh, two dope queens and. But it took a while for them to get traction, you know, because everything is a white guy thing with with comedy, and then it kind of gets spread around eventually. Um, but I think it's really important to teach podcasting because, like you said, everyone thinks they can do, uh, you know, a podcast, or everyone thinks they can do comedy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and oops, sorry. In essence, uh, they kind of can, they, you know, yeah. Uh, if it's if it's and here's the thing I always say to my students is even if you get done my class and by the way my midterm is a PowerPoint presentation on finding an audience and and like you know really thinking about what you're doing and instead of just going out and doing it but that when you're done with my class hopefully you've learned to communicate effectively so that no matter what you do in life you can go into a room and again I hate to overuse the word but you have that feeling of empathy with whoever you're talking to whether it's business or you know anything else that you do and I think that when you do a podcast you you get to flex that muscle a lot yeah I think you're right um, empathy is so important um, connect with the audience is the only thing I ever wanted because I'm shallow and I don't uh, have an inner life. And so to be able to um, to be able to reach people. And I, I think like you say in your in, in real life, we're on the phone making caustic remarks about other people's politics or their habits or whatever. And it, it's a chance to not it's a chance to articulate that more and not just take pot shots at people. You have to develop something when you're doing a podcast. There has to be, I mean, you know, the, there's, you've heard ones where people just blather. Yeah. And then you've heard ones where people make a very salient point and, or it's about history or music or, you know, they've taken a topic and that's their topic or sex and all of, all of which need to be discussed. The problem isn't that, like you say, people are ignorant and they're stupid and they need to be castigated for being morons. The problem is we don't have dialogue about anything. 
Do you find it hard? And I think that Jennifer fills this role for you. And she, as I think, you know, anybody, I, I love you and your marriage. And it reminds me so much of my wife and I where, you know, that's my best buddy. That's that's my sounding board. Do you feel like when you're doing the podcast from the Fortress of Prupitude that, that that's you have a sounding board to, you know, instead of having an audience in front of you? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, she, she's been uh, part of this thing since the beginning and my partner in it. And a lot of the ways the topics have been driven is because of her. A lot of the news stories I read and the information I have is because of her. So I've given her credit since the beginning. And uh, now we're starting to do ones at home together where she talks more. She'd always wanted to be sort of in the background. And that was her choice, you know, and I didn't press her to push forward. But lately, she's wanted to say more. And so I'm happy with that evolution, too. And of course, people write me and say, could you put could you turn her mic up? Yeah, <laughs> I, she, you've got her on the side there and you're sidelining her. And now I feel <laughs> awful because I'm always talking about people sidelining women. And in the last one we did, I don't think she was on mic enough. But so, yeah, uh, I, I think you have to have a sounding board. Um, but more importantly than the sounding board for her, for me, she's sort of the guiding uh, heart and soul of this whole thing. One of the things that, you know, you do well, and I feel like, this, I tell people all the time, in a lot of ways we should be very grateful for Donald Trump because it's the first time people actually pay attention to what's happening and are interested in C-SPAN and who's the secretary of this and who's the secretary of that. So there, there is a lot of, uh, a lot more dialogue about what's going on with our government, but I, I feel like it's also created a, a place where you can see where a lot of people aren't maybe the best people to be talking about politics. And I think of some comedians and some of the podcasts, and and I think in general social media where it's been maybe you know not working out um, for them. How, how you know, long way to ask a question is you know how do you feel about this 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 current culture of, of Donald Trump and how it affects what you do. I think it's galvanized people in a positive way. And I think most importantly, it's forced complacent um, white people into some sort of, uh, you know, getting woke, as they say, um, uh, the, 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 the violence that he brings in his rhetoric, he's a, basically a one man recruiting squad for white supremacists. Every single, <clears throat> insane shooting that's taken place. The shooters have all said that they listened to him, that they appreciated him, that it was his message that they were uh, uh, reacting to and relating with. Um, and I think it's a, a real nice wake up call for people. If I wanted Hillary more than I've wanted anything in my life, but I do realize if she'd been elected, we'd be locked in this thing where the Republican Congress would be fighting her tooth and nail right now. <clears throat> she'd probably be indicted. Yeah. And there might be impeachment proceedings going on a year and a half in because that's how psycho they are about it. Whereas with this, we're fighting against basically fascism every day. But now I know the names of every single council person in my neighborhood. Um, I'm writing politicians all the time. I'm completely galvanized. Um, I've joined 15 different groups. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And to see the crushing amount of women and young people that are registering to vote and running for office is what I always focus on. Um, a lot of liberal people will be like, oh, it's worse than it ever was and the whole world's coming to an end. And it's like, that's true. But 
there's going to be so many women running for office uh, in the next two years and so many people of color. We're talking about a black woman governor of Georgia in the in the in the near future, which has never, ever happened in the history of the United States. There's never been a black woman governor. And that's progress. Um, I always say to people, I'm old. And when I was little, Nixon was president. And when Nixon was president, there was no question that a woman or a black person was ever going to be president, much less attorney general, much less secretary of state. So all those things have happened in my life. And I'm not that fucking old, but you know what I mean? Things move slowly. Incremental change is the the course of American politics. Right now, we're in a terrible time where white supremacists and the Russians uh, have an awful uh, hold on kind of the people's imagination in the media. But I think the, the vast majority of people are are not bad people. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and can be motivated to get off their ass every once in a while uh, and do something. And I think you're seeing that. Um, I think of people I didn't know the name of a few years ago, like Sarah Kenzie or, or uh, Joy Reid or, um, you know, that are in the media now that are f- literally fighting for change every day. And I think that's the part that gives me hope. So that's my take on it. I mean, he, he as a person is, is an inchoate, um, demented uh, mess. He doesn't have an agenda. He, uh, I mean, a, a constructed agenda. He, right. he, he simply pushes buttons, uh, racism, um, homophobia, uh, transphobia, whatever. There's no coherency to anything Orange 45 is doing because he's not intelligent or well-read. It, w- it was just revealed yesterday that McMaster's, who was the former national security advisor, would be in the middle of giving him a briefing and realized he wasn't absorbing anything he said. <laughs> so we're not talking about a normal presidency here. We're yeah. talking about the idiocracy presidency, like you say, except that in the movie, Terry Crews was more awesome. Oh, he was much more awesome. I, I would probably <laughs> consider voter for Terry Crews. You know, and I, I have to, I have to, you know, when when everybody says this is the worst time, I, I you know, you study history, and and I'm I'm a bit of a history buff. Um, I feel like, you know, when I look at the '60s, uh, there was a lot of a lot of strife then, and I think out of both situations is what you're saying is coming true, which is it wakes people up. And and hopefully now this next younger, smarter, more you know generation will will start paying attention and take part, as it did with the sixties. I, I absolutely look look at um, uh, what the Parkland uh, teenagers have done. Amazing! That march was gigantic, and the Republicans can ignore it all they want, and the NRA can react to it all they want. But the tide turned. The tide turned. It was a it was a moment, and. Um, with Hillary running, the, the tide turned there. When you saw a woman get nominated and get the most votes, that you don't go back on that. Uh, uh, and women are, I think, pe- people are really motivated um, in a way they weren't before because we have that extra added incentive of we're fighting for our very survival. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the 60s were this bad and the 70s were this bad. And we've had racist uh, white supremacists, narcissistic, sociopathic liars as presidents, just never all at once. <laughs> well, I always tell people, hey, <laughs> you, you think he's bad. Look up Andrew Johnson, man. There you go. There, there, that's what I was going to say. That's, that's so a bad president. That, that's a bad president. I said pres- to my wife the other day that's how boring I am. I'm like, if you want a white supremacist president <laughs> who presided over a mess and had a corrupt administration, it was Andrew Johnson is cake-takingly shitty. Yeah. He might be the worst president next to Trump. I think I oh I I he's always my he's always my go-to for worst president. I, I can't think Oh my of god, him. he's just horrible. He's a mess. And um so people think we haven't had this kind of 
insane white supremacy before, but we have many, many times. Woodrow Wilson was a screaming white supremacist, Absolutely. and he was also an intellectual, which is like you know, quite a quite a gyration there to be able to do both things. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think a lot of the this has to do, you know, and uh, social media has everything to do with why we think everything is the worst now because it's it's so in our faces. Um, and, you know, how have you been able to use, you know, social media, uh, you know, to kind of not only just to to uh, say what you think, but also as a is it is a form of therapy at all for you or, or do you find it to be as uh, kind of does it get you worked up as it does other folks? It gets me worked up and then I have to take a break from it. And it's when I find myself reacting to every single goddamn tweet and feeling like I have to chime in is when I think, you know, it's okay to think for a while about what's going on and not just immediately react. I never use profanity on my Twitter. And the one or two times I accused someone of being a Nazi openly, I got in very big trouble and trolled to death. And I thought, okay, so don't do that. Um, I can't believe the people who write, fuck you, you other because it's there forever. Yeah. And someone is going to go back and find that you called someone a piece of shit. And so I try to keep the discourse high. Um, I decided early on that in my act and on the podcast, I'll use profanity freely, but on Twitter and social media, I feel like it doesn't really do a lot for your rep. Um, and you can't call everyone that you think is a moron a moron. Um, you have to let morons be morons sometimes. It loses its luster if you overuse it. I think so. I try to praise people. And the only good thing about um, social media is like, for instance, um, Lori Kilmartin, who's a friend of mine, and Allison Rosen, who's a friend of mine, they both have books out now. And so you're able to help people by pumping their projects, you know? Yeah. And I think that's that's a really good thing about social media. When my book came out, I asked all my little comedian friends, will you retweet this? And to a person, they did. And I think that's kind of the the, the fun of social media is that it's a, it's, a fr- it's a club. It's a fraternity, if you will, uh, where we can support each other. Oh, I and, can't uh, wait to see the support you get my new pot, this new podcast of mine. I'm so excited. I, you, Maddie, you tell me when, and I will, as they say, retweet it, and uh, I'll I'll send it out too. I think that's the other groovy thing is like I love doing podcasts, and I don't care if they're new or big established ones. I love doing new ones too because that's how they get off the ground, baby. Yeah. Uh, Rhea Butcher just started one called uh, Three Strikes, uh, Three Swings, and you're out. Um, a baseball one. I'm gonna do one named Podcast Carpool in May. Uh, that a guy hooked me up with. Um, you asked me to do yours, and I thought yes, um, because I know you, and uh, we've always had fun chatting. Uh, I think that's how they get off the ground, and how you get any traction, you know. Well, when we well, we started Stitcher, and that's you know, I left. That's why I left my morning show was to go over and, and help start Stitcher. Was right. you know the one guy I always remember who would do anything and go on any podcast was Mark Marin. Mark mm-hmm. Mark said no to nobody when he started that podcast. We did I did a little podcast out of a closet at Stitcher because you know startup we had no budget and everything. And Mark came and did the podcast in my closet. I and and I, and I think that that's and that's it's and it's one of the things that make podcasting special is that it's not a it's not cutthroat. 
It's not like, you know, you know, every morning radio guy thinks he's the coolest thing in the world and every other morning radio guy sucks. You don't get that attitude with podcasters. It's, hey, how can I help you with your podcast? Because it's just helping me at the same time. I agree. I've done uh, obscure ones in Sacramento, Colorado. Sacramento? Toronto. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. He did it in his house. We all went over. We smoked a joint. And he had a dog. He took pictures of us. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anyone heard it. I think some people hear it. Um, any any town I go to where cats will ask me to do their podcast, I, I generally, if I have a moment, I'll do it. Um, I knew a cat in Philly who's a big music fan. I went over to his house and in his dining room table, we did it. And you know, that that's the other thing that's beautiful about it is it's a movable feast. I have a couple of different Zoom recorders, but I've got the little handheld Zoom one now, and it's changed my life, man, because uh, Jennifer and I went to Mississippi last year with the Lady Parts Justice, Liz Winstead, who is a great comedian who started the yeah. Daily Show. And she has this, uh, you know, uh, abortion rights group that helps out and goes to clinics all over the country. And they don't just go and like do a comedy show and self-indulgent. They'll paint the place. They'll bring office furniture, whatever is required. They ask, then they do a comedy show. They also do escorting. And then at the end of the comedy show, there's like an open dialogue with doctors and volunteers. It's very cool. So I went and the one in Mississippi is full of anti-choice, crazy white men with Bibles and pictures of dead babies outside screaming at a stream of poor black women. Who all of whom have four or five kids and are getting an abortion because they can't afford to have another child. And I had the recorder in my hand and they started yelling at me the minute I got there. And then I was able to interview them. They were glad to do an interview because they recognized me from whose line. And <laughs> I kept it really low key. You know, I let them talk and I spoke like this in a cold, clear tone to them. And they explained their position, which was kind of crazy. And I think that did more than if I'd argued with them or ranted and raved about it, I let them talk and everybody wrote me and was like, I can't believe this with these, what these white men believe. And it's like, well, that's what's going on. They also didn't know that white men gather outside of clinics all over the country and scream at black people yeah. for trying to avail themselves of their constitutional rights. Whereas no one stands outside gun shops and yells at white guys all day. And um, so the, the effectiveness of having a little handheld device Jesus Christ, when I was little, my first tape recorder had two giant reels yeah. and it was it weighed like 40 pounds, you know, and now that we can carry around these things that are small as a phone and, you know, it just makes broadcasting a whole nother thing. It does. There's no, no more physical tape, baby. You don't have to deal with that shit anymore. But yet we still say tape. Oh, yeah. And we, we still say, say tape, video say, recording. <laughs> We say recording, we say telephone. We, I think I always say to Jennifer, everything's really old fashioned, even though it's super new. Uh, people still say tape things. And my, I love that. My wife makes fun of me because I, I'll forget I'm from West Virginia and then I'll, I'll say an expression and like I'll call it the commode or I'll call, mm -hmm. her, I'll call her purse or pocketbook. And she's, like, pocketbook. and she's like, what are you? Some, are you an 80 year old person here with pocketbook and commode? I'm like, no, that's just. How we talk there. All right. Do you say crick and roof as well? Oh, crick, roof, and holler. And yeah. holler, yeah. Yeah, holler. We're girls. going to West Virginia this year for the uh, uh, Lady Parts Justice League thing. That's the date we're going to do. We're going to go to Charleston. Oh, well, good luck in Charleston. I know. Well, I think we're going to interview the teachers because um, that's great. So it just so happens the clinic in Charleston doesn't have a bunch of crazy people standing outside. Um, 
they they they've gotten off the hook on that. So I thought we'd go and talk to the teachers, or Jen, it was Jennifer's idea. Let's be honest, um, mm-hmm. because the teachers have started a tidal wave in West Virginia, and, and God bless them. You know, it's spread to Kansas and Oklahoma and everywhere. You know, there's uh my my one of my best uh, dearest friends is a, a lawyer uh, in Charleston, uh, African American lawyer, and he you know he you know he is always kind of pressuring me. He's like, we need you people like you to come back because, you know, we need to get voices back in the state who have, you know, have experience and and think a little bit. And, and you know, when I saw that teacher strike, I was it just warmed my heart to see the the people that came out to support them uh, in the in the state because, you know, my my state worries me a lot. And I'm glad that you're going there. I, I think that you'll you'll have a wonderful time. I hope you can get to the eastern panhandle. Uh, that's where I'm from, which is actually the beautiful part of the state. So. I've uh, been a couple of times to West Virginia and played years ago with Who's Line at the university in Charleston, and they were unbelievably avid. And they also – we did a Q&A after – or I guess Ryan and Chip did. I I, I didn't take much part in it, but they, they the students really wanted to talk, uh, and it was ex- it was an opportunity for them to talk to people who um, make a living performing. And uh, yeah, the, the people ask me, why do you go everywhere and do stuff, and it's like – I feel like you're, you know, we're, we're troubadours, uh, you know, as a performer, you gotta, I don't know, Bob Dylan, um, you look at his calendar sometimes and he'll be in like Lexington, Kentucky and Evansville, Indiana. And people will ask him, why do you go to these places? And he's like, people live there. <laughs> well, you know? and I think it's good for, you know, I grew up in a really small town in West Virginia, pretty poor. And um, I would go once a year to this uh, this church camp, and it was the one place where I'd meet people who were from different backgrounds, had you know come from mm-hmm. different families, and were smart and really were into reading and education. And and um, Henry Louis Gates Jr. is from the town that I'm from, and and he would go to the same church camp. When I read his book, Black People, he ta- or Colored People, he talks about that being the place where he actually got some like, oh my gosh, there is a world outside of Kaiser, West Virginia. And and I think that when people, you know, come into the state and do performances, you know, there's always that kid like me who is going to see it and go, oh, wow. Yeah, there's people that don't think like everybody that I go to school with. This is cool. All right. I, I can I have uh, there are other people out there. Yes, it's it, it, and it's so important. Um, the people who live in real America uh, have that communication. People do write me and go, I live in a terrible little town in uh, Missouri or a little town in Illinois. And um, I love listening to your show. And you think, well, you're reaching them, and that's important. Yeah. you know. I, I mean, I love New York and London and San Francisco as much as anyone else. And, I, of course, I want to play there all the time, and I do. But cities are starting to be like places people are leaving because they can't afford to be there anymore. You know, We were just in um, Ohio and um, Indiana, and uh, the downtowns are getting renewed in some of these towns that are you know, like Toledo. Um, Toledo's not, it's depressing, but you can see that it's coming back and people are forced to move to places like that now because you can't go to Portland or Denver anymore. Portland and Denver price themselves right out of the market. And, um, there's that, there's that wild reality going on in the United States where there's simply not enough places to live and enough jobs for everyone to afford. You know, when we first lived in San Francisco, Maddie, you, you could live there. Yeah. Now, what is it, $4,000 a month is the average rent? That's oh, it's, ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. I don't know how anybody lives here who's on a normal income. I honestly don't. I, you, I mean, you have to be like Facebook rich to, to – and that's just – that's not right. I mean, I when I – yeah. So yeah. I, I think that the real estate developers 
are the most – I used to think arms dealers were the most evil people on earth. But I think it's real estate developers, and look who's president. Yeah. Oh, I, I, there's, there's nothing more frustrating. I mean my wife and I were, were looking to buy a house, and you can't buy one unless you have cash in hand. And those folks who are buying them with cash in hand don't live here. They don't they, – they're only doing it for speculation. It's, it's really uh, frustrating. And all these Is damn it? flippers, all these flippers at damn TV shows made everybody think they can go out and flip a home now. So they come and buy them, and, and yeah, it's terrible. Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> they want, I, I bought a house in L.A. with my wife, and they're always asking us to sell it. But what they're going to do with it is tear it down and build a McMansion. Yeah. And I'm not doing that. Don't I, do I, it, I Greg. I can't add to that. You know, it's it, 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 there's enough of that. Um yeah. Hey, I've, part of any part of any city is the architecture, and I don't understand people who just want to knock everything down all the time. But LA is heedless, you know. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, at least it's a little bit more affordable in LA, though. I'm. Yeah. It is. It is. It still is, and there's still cheap apartments to rent. Cheaper. When I first came to LA, oh my God, I think we were renting a place for. I was splitting it with uh, Sue Murphy, the comedian, and we oh, lived I there for, I think, $500 each a month. Wow. That was 20 years ago. Wow. Hey, I got a question from a listener, Larry yes, Schmidlin. He's got three. I'm going to give you two of them. One, do you have a photographic memory? No, I just have a good memory. Um, I, there's giant gaps in my memory, and, of course, memory is really selective. I don't remember any of my nephews or nieces' birthdays, but I can tell you what Ty Cobb hit per every season, kind of thing. So that's amazing. Uh, that's you know, it's like some of the sports guys I worked with in New York that they would walk in and just they couldn't remember what they had for lunch yesterday, but uh, forget about you know the '86 Mets. They'll tell you every stat, everything about them. Um, sure. Right. How about uh, the the other question? Is is were you do you really drink vodka when you're doing your oh, yeah. podcast? I do. I've got a drinking problem, and I take it on the air. <laughs> I, 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 I neck down uh, several glasses during a, a podcast. Uh, um, I'm doing one tomorrow night here in uh, uh, Halifax is where I am now, uh, at the Halifax Comedy Festival. And they put me in a little bar called The Carlton, and I've done it there. I've done it here a couple times, and uh, really good fun. Uh, it is the end of the bloody continent out here. Um, but, yes, I really, drink, I really drink vodka. And people give me vodka all the time. I bet. Once they, once they know you like something, that, that was the thing. Uh, I, I quit drinking uh, three years ago. And, oh, good for you. Well, I can always tell when somebody's really a friend of mine and when they're not by the gifts they give me at Christmas because they'll, you know, I'll get bottles in the mail. I'm like, yeah, we haven't talked for a while, have we? Uh, <laughs> right. You can't enable that shit. It's like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> well, it's, I, you know, then I have gifts for other folks, so it doesn't work out very bad, but uh, yeah. it's always funny. Hey, Um, I always end with three killer questions. Three questions. If you could listen to a podcast that had anybody living or dead on it, whose podcast would you listen to? Oh, gee whiz. That's a good question. Um, uh, golly. All right. You've kind of stumped me because I, I have a thousand people that well, I want to say. Yeah, you can come up with a couple combinations if you want. I'm, I, this is one I was really excited to ask you in particular because I figured you'd come up with something good. I, I would like to hear uh, Joan Rivers uh, because I, oh. I worshipped and adored her as a comedian. Um, living uh, Fran Lebowitz, if someone would just interview Fran Lebowitz every week, um, she's so witty and so funny and so incisive and is so liberal-minded and hysterically, you know, just I, I, I just adore her um, comedy. 
she's mostly a writer, obviously, but she does do interviews and she just nails the devil out of it. Um, if it was old fashioned, if we're talking living or dead ever, I would love to hear um, Leonardo da Vinci's thoughts. Um, I'd also uh, love to hear like some of the women of history that get skipped over, like Ada Lovelace, who basically kind of invented the computer and um, all of the um, black women from Hidden Figures who were the physicists who worked at NASA. Um, it would be very interesting to hear them talk about their experience with uh, um, astronomy and, and dealing with um, uh, the giant paradigm that they were forced into and how to uh, go with it. I'd love to hear Abraham Lincoln speak. Yeah. Um, have I given you enough? Or you, that, you've given me plenty. I, I, yeah, could go, I could go on and on th forever. Those are I great. Mean, um, Louis Armstrong, I think, would have quite a lot to say uh, about different things. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a bunch of people living who don't get on podcasts and maybe we should interview them. Like uh, Dolores Huerta, who started the United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez. She's still alive. And um, you've just given me an idea. There you go. That's that's my that's that's the uh, that's the that's the producer in me. Hey, what was the right? Yeah, we mentioned you know podcasting is kind of the latest technology that's that's changed your life and what you do. What's the first piece of technology that you remember using and going? This is neat. This is going to be something. It's going to change my life. Well, um, uh, like I said, when I was probably six or seven, my parents gave me this tape recorder. And it had giant reels, and you turned uh, this giant lever to make it go and to rewind it. And then you had to press a button and turn the lever at the same time to make it record. And it had one of those green, like, I don't know what you would call it, an oscilloscope. Like, you know, that when you spoke, the levels yeah. were, were kind of a fluctuating cosine. In, in the, and that's early. I don't know if that's digital technology. I'm sure it was a light bulb, you know. Um, and I remember thinking that was super bitching and also portable phonographs when I was little, the kind you would drag over to your friend's house yeah, and just plug it in the wall and it just played. That was like, we thought that was the living end. Um, and transistor radios when, uh, I was really little in the sixties, uh, because you could listen to the ball game on them with, uh, one little ear piece in your ear. Yeah. And so you could you could hide in bed and listen to ball games or take it anywhere and no one would you could sneak uh, listening to games. And also, you know, radio was way more eclectic once upon a time, as you recall. Um, and I listened to a dazzling variety of weird uh, DJs from San Francisco alone in my room. Um, guys who played comedy, um, John Gilliland, who was on KSFO. Uh, guys who did comedy, like, um, uh, uh, well, not I'm not old enough to really for sure would, but, um, uh, oh, golly, I'm blanking on his name. But there was, you know, anyways, there was eclectic shows where I remember hearing Monty Python for the first time on the radio yeah. before they were on TV. Um, uh, John Gilliland played them on his comedy show. Um, and I think that's that's what we're doing now for people. I, I what think those People yeah. did for us when we were little, the exposing you to different things that you had no idea existed. Yeah, I mean, I always tell folks, you know, when I was little, we didn't have TV, but we had radio and Doctor Demento. You know, yes, Doctor Demento. That was oh my god. That was how I found 
you know, comedy. You know, that my mom let me listen to any comedy album I wanted to. So George Carlin and, you know, when I was like six or seven was listening to George Carlin and those things. But, uh, yeah, Dr. Demento. And I remember my first radio job on an FM station was I got to play Dr. Demento on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock. And I, I was like, I've made it! Yes! Yeah, right? Yeah. It's so, it, 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 Dr. Demento, plus he played, um, you know, records from the 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah, he played like old Bob and Ray stuff, and he'd play, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Spike Jones, and, you know, all that kind of stuff that was, you know, you know, for a, you know, nobody else was playing that. Yeah, no, he, he was the one, and it was coast to coast, and it was syndicated. Um, we even, I remember I was in a group called Fault Line in San Francisco in the 80s, and we made a, a Christmas rap record or something, and we sent it to him because the show was still on. This is like 85. We sent him a vinyl single of it, and he wrote us back and said, I'm not going to play it, but it was more trenchant than most comedy records. He said that? And I remember being absolutely thrilled that he called our record trenchant. trenchant yes. And, um, uh <laughs> It was, yeah, he, he's, uh, I think, a great broadcaster. Yeah. He, and I think a lot of people have different experiences depending on what your generation is. Um, there was a radio station in San Francisco that I made it to the 80s called KSAN. Uh, KSAN. Yeah. And they, they had really eclectic DJs who played rock and roll, but also stranger you know, harder, deeper cuts. And I, I got an education from them too. And they embraced punk when it came out, whereas the hard rock stations were very resistant to it. And, um, and then punk leads you to uh, art and literature and style, that, you know, a different direction than like listening to Ted Nugent or so Montrose or something. <laughs> All of a sudden, now you have to deal with the intention behind a song, the politics behind a song, the fashion behind a song. And then of course, um, I listened to KSOL and K, uh, um, KDIA, which were the black stations in the Bay Area. And that's where I learned about uh, Bootsy Collins and uh, um, Rick James and Funkadelic and uh, Chaka Khan. And you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so uh, when I was a pizza delivery boy, I would drive around San Mateo and smoke cools and listen to KSOL. And um, they were playing everything groovy, you know. So it was just the Bay Area has always been good for that because the Bay Area is multicultural and we never even with all the problems that the Bay Area has and the racism and the lack of housing and all that jazz, the poverty. There's always been Latin people, Asian people, black people, white people. You know what I mean? So yeah. No, I mean, I look at my neighborhood to it more if, I, you, then I, if, if you lived in an all white place, like, say, you know, Canada. Yeah. I bring, well, Canada's not really all white, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I bring that up when I go, uh, I still go hunting with my dad in Pennsylvania and, uh, and I'll get in conversations with guys there and just kind of just point out that, you know, hey, your experience is not like mine, where I'm the only white family on the block. You know, it's, it's a little right. different. Um, all right. One more. What was the last podcast that you binged? Um, I, that's just going to sound terrible. I don't really binge, uh, podcasts that much i i listen to some uh, sometimes um i love jackie cation's the dork forest because uh, she gets people on to talk about stuff that's real meaningful to them so it can be any old thing um old-time movies baseball whatnot um i listen to mine back um after i do it because i want to make it the producer and me i want to make it better yeah and less repetitive and less as far as the vodka goes, sometimes uh, 
maybe there's too much vodka and that's not always a good thing. It's you, you make, you want to make sure you're making sense and are ahead of the audience instead of, um, being the, the drunk guy who's cornered you in a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you know my, what? I didn't know what that was like until I stopped drinking. And now I'm like, <laughs> Oh God, that was me. I was the drunk guy. Uh, in, in the kitchen trying to tell you why the world is needs change. Right. Yeah. I, I just, that's my worst fear. <laughs> um, it, my two worst fears are uh, irrelevance and to be the drunk guy who's cornered you in the kitchen and is repeating the same story. Oh man. That's funny. Um, yeah. that's great. Uh, well, uh, running out of time, but I really appreciate you coming on, Greg. I, I'm glad that we got to catch up and, and, and it's been too long and, uh, you're, you're somebody I always, I do, th- I think of more often you would, than you would probably know. Um, I, well, that's very I, kind I of you, Maddie. Of I've always been thought of you fondly, and every time I go back and do um, Sarah and Vinny, every time I go, and I was there through the Sarah and No Name years as well. Uh, this every time I go back and say do Sarah and Vinny, I think of you because sometimes you do the show now, and the producer's like looking at the computer the whole time. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I I I know what you mean. It changes. Everything changes a little bit, sure. and uh, uh, and I, I think that you know it's good to see you in this world. I'm glad you're podcasting. And, and I do think it's, it adds to our culture and, and a little bit uh, makes me hopeful that uh, things are, things aren't as bad as we, as I think they are sometimes. Thanks pal. That's really nice of you. Do uh, let me know when this is going to come out and uh, email me and uh, I'll definitely put it all over my Twitter and stuff like that. You got anything you want to promote before we get out of here? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, uh, I've got a podcast coming up um, uh, this May 2nd at Bar Lubitsch in Los Angeles. That one's free to attend. I'm also on the road with the Who's Line guys, and we're going all over the Midwest and the South uh, starting May 4th. St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, Atlanta, Raleigh, all over Dallas. Uh, And that's uh, at Who's Live anyway. And then I'll be in New York City on uh, May 26th at the the Bell House in Brooklyn. Uh, And that podcast is always wild. Uh, so I, I'd love it if people would come out for that. And um, the Greg Proofs Film Club will be showing Three Days of the Condor on May 16th, uh, Wednesday, May 16th, at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. And if you haven't seen Three Days of the Condor, it's a CIA paranoia movie from the 70s where Robert Redford has awesome hair. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Uh, we'll put all that up on uh, our Facebook page, too, at Access Podcast. Thanks, Thanks on, buddy. Hey Z. Hi Maddie. I enjoy my time with Greg Bruce. It was a really good interview. It was fun to listen back to. I like uh, I've liked Greg forever. I, I met Greg uh, a long time ago, like 15 <laughs> years ago, and uh, he's one of those people that he's so smart that when he acknowledges something that you said is smart, you feel even smarter. Yeah, and I like too. You guys had a conversation about how if someone's ignorant, you don't just bash it. You kind of try to use it as a learning opportunity, and I like that what he said about that now you know how i get through my job every day oh Ooh, burn. <laughs> oh no and hey being smart is a wonderful thing and podcasts make you smarter so this week i wanted to highlight podcasts that make you smarter okay. and z you've gone out to the interwebs and looked for three to recommend to our listeners what do you got yeah so the first one is revisionist history with um, malcolm gladwell very smart. Yeah, very smart guy. And he has this voice that you just want to sit and listen to all the time. And it's just a um, it's a podcast where they interpret things from the past that cases or like different stories that someone might have overlooked. And it's really in- interesting. I love this podcast. Let's hear it. 
He closed her nostrils with his other hand, and since she could not get air, she lost consciousness. When she came to, she realized that she was in the back of a moving automobile. Okay, I might say, he. okay, he's definitely smarter than me. I'm, I'm now doing a list of all the people smarter than me, and it's getting very long. Yeah, <sighs> how are you looking on that list? Where are you at? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably 50 deep at this point, Ooh. and that's just in this building alone. <laughs> what do we got for the second podcast? The second one is Good Job Brain. Good Job Brain! Which you actually told me about, and I love it because I'm such a like trivia nerd. Mm-hmm. I love trivia, and this is just a group of friends, and it's like a, they call it like a bar quiz, and it's offbeat trivia, and if you love facts and learning new facts, this is a great show for you. Check it out. This mm-hmm. is a everybody Kind okay. of a question. Okay. What author's first three names were oh. John Ronald Rule? Oh. Everybody. J R R Tolkien. Martin. J R R. Yeah, Martin. <laughs> yeah, those guys have been at it for a while. I, I love podcasts like that that uh, come from a, a place of friendship. Yeah, their chemistry is great, and it just flows onto the audio, the podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to let it keep talking. <laughs> okay, next one. All right, my last one is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is probably like top three smartest people. He He's pretty smart. He is crazy smart. And he has a podcast about astrophysics. It's like, can I say that word? Yes. Um, and he has great guests like George Takai, Buzz Aldrin, Morgan Freeman, um, obviously, Bill Nye, the science guy, they're like BFS, and it's just teaching you more about the universe and who doesn't want to learn more about space. Let's hear it. That a rock has less God in it than life does. Okay. Okay. And he talks about the orbits of planets, and which Newton had already figured out. Mm-hmm. In his publication of Principia, okay? So Newton had already figured that out. Okay. And so so he is not saying that the planets are moving according to God because right. we already had those answers. Right. In this book, every place he invokes God is where we knew the least about the natural world. That's a very common thing. You know who loves Neil deGrasse Tyson? Who? Our, our music composer, Casey Franco. I- yeah, he's yeah. he's like a he's he's such, he's a big fanboy. I'm I'm pretty sure he has like a full size poster over his bed. You know, I've been to his place and he's four. Just kidding, <laughs> just kidding, Casey. Uh, that was wonderful. Thank you, Z. And uh, if you like to hear those podcasts, don't forget to check them out on the iHeartRadio player. If uh, you've got a podcast that you want to put on the iHeartRadio player, guess what? There's a submissions page, and uh, we'll put a link to that up on our website. All you have to do is go check us out on Facebook. It's Access Podcast on Facebook. You can also catch us on Twitter. It's Access Podcast 1. Some dum-dum took Access Podcast 10 years ago and has never used the handle boo. Uh, but anyway, you can follow us on social media. Also, want to thank everybody involved with the show. Z, you're the best. Thank you. So are you. Casey Franco composes our music. Dalton Rumberg helps out with graphics. Uh, also, want to thank Ricardo AR, who does a lot of the social media promotion for us uh, as well. So, thanks to all those guys. Thanks to Don Parker and Katie Wilcox here in San Francisco, and our godfather of podcasting, Chris Peterson. What's up, Chris? Hey, let's do a shout-out, too, to Darren Davis, president of iHeartRadio. Killing it, Darren. Killing it. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. And remember, if you like podcasts, go check one out and share it with a friend.